this is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we watch Paul transition from a larger argument to the massive implications for how we interact in this new kingdom. Yep. Paul has spent the last 11 chapters of Romans arguing for unity in this blended family, struggling with the full and free inclusion of the Gentiles. He opened with a theological treatise, which explained that all of humanity struggles with the same essential condition. The good news, pun intended, is that this means it is the same faith that justifies us all. If we are all justified by the same faith and the same gift of grace, then there's no reason for division or exclusion of any group. Although this is a hard pill to swallow when you are part of the group on the inside, Paul reminds his Jewish readers that God is the potter and he gets to decide what he does with his vessels. So if he decides he wants to shower grace on vessels prepared for destruction, he gets to. Paul moved on to explain that it's part of God's plan and always has been. They've made their share of mistakes in the past and learned this lesson before. We Jews need to seize our calling to be a light to the Gentiles and welcome them in the family of faith, the children of Abraham. Hey, we said that a lot quicker than an hour right there. We just summarized that up pretty nice. <laughs> yes, well... <laughs> Hopefully that's just a callback to what uh, what the listeners understand from the last episode. Yeah, I hope so. If not, it was a waste of a long hour. It's not all fun and games for these Gentiles either. They have to guard themselves against conceit and arrogance, reminding themselves of the kindness and sternness of God. They have to remember, if they're Gentiles, if not for the grace of God, they are a wild olive tree which doesn't belong. And and we have, actually have a have a we have a graphic representation of this, right, Brent? We have a slide in our show notes, yep. a picture that we can look at, kind of a visual graph of how Romans has worked out. So we had those three. We just kind of reviewed those three sections there. So if you pull up that graphic, you'll see there this idea that everyone has a place, and you have chapters one through three in group one. We talked about three groups, one problem. We had three groups; they all had the same problem, and then we had chapters four through eight. And this idea of everyone being justified by faith. So, so you, have, you have the same problem with all three groups of people, but one solution. And then 9 through 10, if that's true, well, God, what's true about God is that God chooses to bless and redeem everyone. And all these things together, chapters 1 through 11, lead us to Paul's kind of closing conclusion, which is that last section of Romans we're entering today, which is chapters 12 through 16. We're not going to do the whole thing today, but chapters 12 through 16, where Paul says, if all that's true, if we have if we have three groups with one problem, but everyone's justified by faith in one solution, and God chooses to shower this mercy and grace and compassion on everyone, well, then there's only one response. And that one response is going to be to become people of love. That's the only thing that's left to do is love. So, in light of this larger argument, Paul turns his attention to the application of this larger argument. With a great therefore, titled this episode, Therefore. Which whenever we say therefore, what's the clever little thing that we've all heard in churches, Brent? What is it there for? What's it there for? When you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. With a great therefore statement to begin Romans 12, Paul calls God's people to love. Go ahead, Brent. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. You see that? In view of God's mercy. That's what we just got done talking about. Go ahead. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In view of this incredible mercy that we've been talking about this whole time, Brent, the only logical response would be to let ourselves be shaped by this potter. How would God shape these new vessels for his divine use? Go ahead and keep reading. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right, so if, if, if there's this full inclusion of everybody in the family of God, no matter which group you're a part of, if it's all the same faith and the same justification, if the only thing that's left to do is love... Well, that means that we're all one big body with all kinds of different jobs and roles to play, and we ought to just play those roles for the benefit of other people. If this is what God is up to in the world, neither one of these groups must think of themselves as better than any other group. I should remind you of the opening chapters of this letter of Romans, I would think. Instead, we ought to realize that God has designed each of us, Jew and Gentile alike, to serve others in the world. We all have something to give. Some of us are teachers, and others of us are administrators. Some of us are prophets, and others encourage. We ought to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and lay ourselves down as an act of service to others around us. The great potter, with a capital P, is shaping his vessels to be instruments of love. Go ahead, Brent. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Seems like a summary of uh, session one of Bema. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Huh? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this is what it means to partner with God in his project of redemption. We become his instruments of love and hospitality. We give ourselves as living sacrifices to bless others. Whether these others are fellow believers in the body of Christ or our very enemies matters not. We love and we serve. We bless and we do not curse. Now, what's the big question that everybody has coming out of that passage, Brent? What does it mean to heap burning coals on someone's head? <laughs> All right. Well, it's a tangential thought. And outside the scope of this thematic study of Romans, many people have been confused by this whole idea of burning coals on top of people's head reference. Needless to say, as we've learned time and time before, the answer is where, Brent? In the text. In the text. Our initial, converse, uh, our initial observation is that this line comes from Proverbs 25, 
This is the one he quotes. It's right there in your footnotes. It's right there in the footnotes. What is often harder to see is that the reference to burning coals in Hebrew is always connected to the presence of God. In Tanakh, whenever you see burning coals, you will also find God nearby. As a quick side note, far too quick, by the way, this reference in Romans is not inviting us to torture our enemies with good deeds, as if we are taking our vengeance on them in some passive-aggressive form of righteousness. Instead, the author is inviting us to bring the presence of God into their lives by not returning evil for evil. Respond to evil with good, and God will show up. Might we all be inspired to offer ourselves as living sacrifices? May we offer ourselves to others in love and hospitality? And might we lay our lives down in acts of service, doing the very things God designed us to do for the good of others? May we not shrink back at the sight of evil, but overcome evil with good. After making this case that we're all justified by the same grace from the same forgiving God who loves to show grace and mercy to his creation— Paul then says the only logical response to this graciousness is to offer our own lives as sacrifices, instruments God can use as conduits of his love in the world. When working uh, through these ideas in the past, Brent, I had an editor at some point, not you, but another editor before Brent, BB, um, Laura, uh, one of our other editors at one point, uh, I was writing about this idea. And she made an interesting observation that in the newer translations, some of the new translations, what did your translation say about living sacrifice? Offer your, what did it say there? Is this the new NIV, right? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay. And yeah, that's NIV. Can you look up ESV? Tell me what ESV says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay. Uh, these newer ones are making the sacrifice singular. One sacrifice, which I, I just love. Um, the call is not for us to offer our individual bodies as individual sacrifices, plural, like lots of sacrifices, but instead it's us to offer our bodies in service to one another, one body of Christ, our many bodies as a united sacrifice to God. This would be our act of worship, to honor and to serve and to love each other in a way that God would find our lives to be a pleasing aroma and the world would see a proper depiction of who God is. That is brilliant. But Paul extends his calling even further to places that I might that might not sit as well with our uh, postmodern American mentalities. Go ahead and keep reading. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. All right, there's a passing comment on this because this passage has become really popular in the last couple of years. Gotten a lot of mileage out of this one. Um, it should be interesting to note that both sides of the political spectrum love to quote this passage when it fits them. Um, so I know recently it definitely got flared up when uh, certain administrations made certain laws and people were upset about immigration and and people were quoting Romans 13. Well, it's the laws of the land and you're supposed to submit to the governing authorities, Romans 13. And and we just quote that passage when it, when it fits us. We all just ought to, ought to notice that. And when the tables are turned, the other side does it. I don't know if they do it as blatantly as the one side, but they certainly do it. Just as much, at least on our insides, if not on our outsides. We love this passage when it fits our sensibilities. So that same crowd when Obama was president was certainly not quoting Romans 13 
when they were scared that he was going to come take all their guns away. Like that's not, uh, we just, we, we only quote this passage when it works <laughs> for us. Um, and, uh, and, and people weren't quoting this passage. They were actually accusing everybody of being the antichrist. And now it's the other side doing kind of some of the same stuff. So just put all that stuff aside before we start. Let's not hear what Marty's not saying. Let's just say we're using this con this this passage way, way out of context. All right. So keep in mind these governing authorities are the same people who have persecuted believers and made them suffer at the end of the sword. We noticed this a few sections back, a few podcast episodes back. They are not simply leaders from a different political party with differing ideologies. Uh, they are truly enemies of the state in this instance. Go ahead. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. This verse sits in my head often as I think about all the times I feel as though the government wants to infringe on my rights. Or when I start getting a little entitled about privacy or oversight, I'm quick to remind myself that as a follower of Jesus, I am called to walk in the light and have nothing to hide. I should be living such a good life that there's nothing to condemn. It's not to say that all those other things aren't wonderful, valid topics of conversation, wonderful points people can make. I'm not, I'm just, if I live as I ought, I should have very little to fear. I want to live the kind of life where if people did get into my cell phone, if Big Brother did watch, he would be sorely disappointed. Go ahead. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. So again, Paul's words remind me of the humility needed to see that God has a plan I don't always understand or perceive. He makes vessels and instruments to use as he sees fit. It is very hard for me to know when an authority is being used by God to accomplish his purposes. So I ought to respect that place of God has given them in the world. And let's remind ourselves, this is not saying... Well, just submit to the authority when they tell you to do something that's against God. No, the early church was very adamant about doing what God had asked them to do, subverting the authorities, standing in the face of Roman opposition. They were very good at doing what God told them to do, and they were not going to do what Rome told them to do if God told them to do something else. So this is not just blind submission. Uh, this is this is talking about reverence. This is talking about respect. This is talking about the honor due to other people. This fits Brent in the section we were just talking about that we have a tendency to forget the moment we get into some other discussion. What was the last section, 12 through 16 of Romans? Was a section on what? About love. About love. It, if this is true about all humanity, then we respond with one posture. We, 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 we respond with one behavior. We respond with one response. Love. We love. Government, we love. Our enemies, we love. Our brothers, we love. That's what we do. We just love. Go ahead. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then rev revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Pretty good argument there. 
Seems hey. like he might have been uh, discipled by Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Definitely taking a Jesus stance, a Hillel stance there. Pay what you owe others, including the government. And when it comes to debt, make sure the only thing you owe other human beings is love and dignity. Make sure this is the way of, make sure that this way of love is what we give ourselves to. Make sure we continue to learn how to master our sarks. What did that word mean, Brent? The animal appetite. Perfect. Yes. We have to learn how to master our sarks and be able to lay down our lives for our neighbors, our leaders, even our enemies. Go ahead and keep reading. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh, the sarks. Yeah, sarks, as we come to the close of yet another chapter of Romans, we are reminded that our call, our offering of worship, is our ability to love each other. In our willingness to serve and see others as more significant than ourselves, we put God on display to a world that seeks to serve self. May we be true worshipers. May we offer up sacrifices of self-sacrificial living. We promised a short episode today, Brent. We delivered. That was pretty good. There you go. Nice little break after having to listen to me ramble and rant for so long last week. Our our longest uh, straight to one of our shortest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> pretty good. All right. Uh, we're, well, we're not done with Romans yet. We've got one more. One more episode. After one more this. discussion. Right. Yep. Well, uh, thanks for sticking it out with us through this book of Romans, this verse-by-verse, every-verse trademark uh, discussion. Uh, We'll be done in one more episode, and then then you can present us with all of your Roman questions. So hold on for one more episode. Uh, So thanks for joining us on the Miramar Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon. You asked me to continue reading, right? Yep. Okay. I'll wait till you're done with the tambourine. (laughs) Don't need that in the recording. Nope.